your Locked On Maple Leafs, your daily podcast on the Toronto Maple Leafs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Leafs podcast, one-stop shop for all things Leafs. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, also known as Al's brother from TSN's Overdrive. You can hit me up on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show as well at Locked On Leafs. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Leave a rating and review as well. That would be much, much appreciated. All right. The frenzy is over. And the Leafs were very active, extremely active on uh, on the first day of free agency. That said, they didn't quite make any massive splashes like I know some people were hoping them to make. But honestly, I don't I, I don't really know what you were expecting. The team was pretty cap strapped. Um, they weren't going to make a major move. They they had to go out and get themselves a goaltender to pair up with Jack Campbell, which they did. Uh, they need to get uh, you know a top six guy. I think they still they still have about three and a half million dollars to play with, um, up to three and a half million, depending on how they can kind of jig their cap a little bit. And I think there still is a move to be done. I don't, I, I would be shocked if this is the roster uh, come September, uh, come opening night in October. I, I'd be shocked, honestly. But I think that they did some decent signings today. What they didn't do was they didn't make mass a massive mistake, which half of the NHL did today there were some egregious egregious deals made in the nhl uh, through day one of free agency and Toronto didn't really didn't really make those mistakes everyone who they signed they signed to a rather reasonable contract didn't get uh didn't get caught up in having to give out term or dollars i mean peter morazit the goaltender they ended up signing only three years 3.8 million dollars and that's pretty much what I think we were expecting in the realm of, I thought maybe in the realm of uh, a four-year deal, three and a half million, but three years, three point eight, that's perfect. And Peter Morazic, if you recall, on my uh, my my top five wish list power rankings, he was number one. So we got my number one guy, the one who I wanted uh, to be the partner for Jack Campbell, because he's a perfect tandem partner, absolutely perfect. So. Let's go through some of the guys who the Maple Leafs did go out and get. Well, I'll go through all of them, actually. I'll go a little bit more in depth on guys like Peter Morazic, Michael Bunting, and uh, David Kampf. And then they also signed some some more depth pieces as well. That'll kind of be uh, just that depth. Guys up in the press box or guys who are going to be call-ups from the Marlies. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give them their love, you know, just in case. You never know. But... Uh, Let's start with the biggest signing of the day, and that was the goaltender, Peter Morazic. So, as I mentioned, three years, $3.8 million. And considering what, like, other goaltenders in the market were going for, I thought that was a pretty good deal. Like, it wasn't a steal by any means. That's pretty market value, I would say, for a guy like Morazic, who's not really a, a, a starter per se, but more of a 1A backup in a tandem. And that's really what he's going to be. So, I think 3.8 is perfectly fine. The term is, is more than okay for me for three years and like I said he was my number one target for Toronto on my wishlist podcast um, and speaking of apparently there were some issues with uploading that that podcast to iTunes so if you listen to this pod through iTunes uh, it may not have got to you which sucks obviously I, I you know I want my listeners to get the content that I'm putting out there but if you did uh, you know you did miss it 
it, it did go through to uh, Spotify and, and everywhere else. So maybe just go and try and find that episode elsewhere if you're interested to hear it. Although, at this point, I suppose, uh, you know, that was just pre-free agent conversation. And, and now that free agents come and gone, I guess it's not really worth doing. But just know that I I was I did pretty well, right? I asked for Mrazek, and we got him. That was my number one target. Um, so I'm happy. He's a true tandem goaltender, which for me, I think was really important when it came to getting a a, a guy like Jack Campbell, getting a, a goalie to play with Jack Campbell. It's really what this league is trending to, right? So it really made sense as Campbell isn't going to be a 60-plus game starter at 29 years old. You know, he's had some injury history. He's had, um, you know, some fatigue issues at points this season. So they needed to get a tandem, and Mrazek is great. Um, once a very highly touted goaltender in the wing system, he played extremely well in his early years before kind of withering away as that team just like disintegrated into the bottom of the NHL standings. Was sent to Philly at uh, at the trade deadline a few years back for a couple of draft picks, but never really found his game there either. Posted the worst numbers of his career, sub-9 save percentage and a 322 goals against and then he went to Carolina and everything changed the Czech netminder spent his last three seasons with the Hurricanes with relatively good success he had a 9-11 save percentage with a 248 goals against in his 90 starts with the Canes but he's coming off his best season number wise where he posted a 206 goals against a 923 save percentage with three shutouts through just 12 games so yes, he only played 12 games. There was a thumb injury that he dealt with uh, this season, which cost him, you know, a couple of months actually. But then when he returned, he lost the crease to Alex Nedeljkovic, so he didn't really get as many games in as he had hoped, as you would hope. Uh, but you know, the small sample size, he was having a fantastic season before he went down, and really the past three years, he's been really, really good. But if you dig a little bit more into these advanced numbers for goaltenders uh it, it actually gets even better for a guy like peter morazic um ranked third in the nhl in save percentage at five on five with a 944 save percentage but also a really really good high danger save percentage as well um and per 60 Mrazek faced the sixth most high danger shots against, but was number one in high danger saves per 60 and led the league in high danger save percentage. So, you know, it again, smallish sample size this year, just 12 games. But when he was faced with a lot of a lot of, um, you know, high quality chances, he came up big, which is something that Nadelkovic didn't really do. And. You know, some some people are saying like, oh, his stats were inflated because he played in a good system in Carolina. All the goalies played well. Look at Nedeljkovic, what he did. Well, Nedeljkovic didn't actually have to face a lot of high danger chances for whatever reason. Um, at Later on in the season, Carolina pulled things together, I guess, when Nedeljkovic got in net. They helped him out a little more um, because he didn't have to face nearly as much high danger opportunities and the ones that he did face had a severely lower high danger save percentage than Peter Mrazek. Like I saw, he was in like the twenties, whereas Mrazek was uh, at the top, up at the top. So, you know, I, I think um, 
I think that you can kind of squash that worry that, oh, he's just good because he was playing in Carolina, which has boasted just really good goalies the last couple of seasons. He's actually just a, a really good goaltender, like, at the end of the day, right? Uh, he didn't face a lot of shots, per se, because Carolina didn't give up a lot of them, but the ones that he did, right, they were of the high-danger variety, so... I think Peter Mrazek is a pretty good goalie. I think that this is going to work out quite well for Toronto. I have high hopes, at the very least, that it it will work out, um, or it will that it will work out uh, for this tandem. And three point eight million dollars, I think, is totally totally. Did you see Jonathan Bernier got like four million bucks? Jonathan Bernier, four million. So getting Mrazek for cheaper. Definitely, definitely uh, a lot happier with that deal than I would have been if we would have got somebody else. So Peter Morazic, a pretty good signing, uh, was you know the one that I was most hoping for, obviously, and that is indeed going to be the partner for Jack Campbell going forward. All right, let's take a quick break. When we get back, we'll chat about uh, a couple of the the B level signings, I guess we could call them, the the secondary signings that. Do have some some intrigue here with the Maple Leafs. They'll factor into what's going on on a nightly basis at the very least. And then a little bit later on, we'll chat about some of the depth signings uh, that were also um, also made and just kind of give you my overall thoughts on the free agent class for the Maple Leafs. But before I do, we'll take a quick break here on the Lockdown Lease podcast. All right, welcome back to the Locked on Lease podcast. Mike DiStefano with you, the host of this program. And just a reminder that we are a daily Maple Leafs podcast. And to make sure to subscribe to get that content delivered to you each and every day. Uh, So going through the free agents that the Maple Leafs signed this week. uh, Peter Morazic, we just chatted about. The goaltender is going to come in. I think that was a good signing. And here's another savvy, under-the-radar signing that I actually like a lot for Toronto. It's not being talked about a lot, but I I put out on Twitter the night before that I thought Michael Bunting would be a savvy bottom six, or a savvy uh, signing for the Maple Leafs, if they could get that. If he could send to a nice, a, a nice price, I guess. You know, he'd be a nice value addition for the right price. And so Michael Bunting ended up signing two years, 950000 per. And you might be saying to yourself, this guy, if he's worth 950000 why why are you so excited about him? And this was the, the guy, I, there was a couple of people on Twitter when I, I, I commented after the, the signing came through. I said, wow, really good signing. I like it. Could be a good, cheap uh, top six option for the Maple Leafs. I'd be like, are you high? He's had 26 games in the NHL. There's no way. the Dubas sucks. He needed to go out. He needed to land a, a bigger fish. There's no way that you can go into the offseason with this guy in your top six. I mean, maybe. Yes, he has a small sample size. Absolutely. But... He played extremely well in that small sample size. And I kind of like him. I like the way he plays. I like what he what he's all about. He's not a household name. But this is a no-risk, high-reward signing. 950000 is absolutely the right price to pay for someone like this. He's a local kid from Scarborough, so he's coming home, you know, 
another PJ boy. I believe I saw him post something about it. Maybe that was Curtis Gabriel. But I saw one of these guys post, uh, you know, themselves in, in the Maple Leafs PJs, Maple Leafs getup. Um, but, you know, a local kid, you know, formerly a former Sioux guy, of course, was drafted by Dubas in the OHL, played under Sheldon Keefe. Um, so they know him pretty well. And he's a different player he was back then. Uh, than he is now. He was a f- drafted in the fourth round by the Coyotes back in 2014, maybe 2013 to 2014. Uh, took him a, a little bit to get going in the NHL after some decent years in the AHL, but he really exploded this season in the in the minors. He had seven goals, 19 points in 17 games, and earned himself a call up to the NHL. And that's what really took off. Like this year, uh, he he took a, a next step in his evolution in his game. He became a finisher, is what happened. Um, ended up with 10 goals in 21 NHL games that he played this season, which is a pace of about 39 goals in an 82-game season. Look, let's not put that type of expectation on Michael Bunting. 39 goals is a lot. Like, clearly that is not what we're expecting of him. I don't think the Leafs are expecting that of him. I don't think he's expecting that of himself. He got on a hot streak, had some lucky goals. You know, he's not going to be a guy who's going to score on a 10-goal per, tw- per 21-game clip his entire career. And something that points to that not happening is his shooting percentage, which is at 26%, which is incredibly high, like insanely high. You're not going to score one of every four shots, even even better than that, like 1.399 shots. That's just not going to happen. So you're not he's not going to be that that 40 goal scorer that he you know his numbers suggest from this season, but it doesn't mean that he won't score at all. In fact, I really do think that that this guy could probably net 20 or so goals a season the way that he plays. And for only 950000 that is such a steal. The Leafs need somebody like this, somebody who can play up and down the lineup, uh, who's got a little bit of... of uh, you know, of sus to him. Like he's only, he's not an overly large guy, just 5'11", 200 pounds, but he's got some bite to his game. And like, despite the average build, like this guy, he loves himself some blue paint. He really loves to just camp out in front of the goaltender and just be a little pain in the rear for goalies and defensemen. Um, A lot of his goals this season came from either tips in front or banging away at garbage rebounds, which, if you think about it, if you put him on a high-volume shooting line, that could be extremely beneficial, right? Like, you put him on a line with Matthews and Marner, who are shooting roughly 10 or so shots a game between the two, you get a guy like this who loves to go to the net, who loves to stand in front of the goaltender, get some screens, redirect pucks, and then bang away at rebounds... I mean, that seems like a really good idea to me. I'm just saying. I know that he's not a household name. Michael Bunting is not the guy who you expected to be the player to come in and replace Zach Hyman. And he's not going to replace Zach Hyman. Like, Michael Bunting can't really do everything that Hyman does, especially on the defensive side of things. He's he's not, you know, that guy. He's not going to be a, a top-end penalty killer and and, you know, just be an extremely you know, hard-working back checker. I mean, he will, he is, but he's just, he's not Zach Hyman, right? Like, let's let's just not say that. But as far as being kind of a puck retrieval net front guy who could do some similar things that Zach Hyman does offensively, 
I think it it's possible. Like, and it's not even that like his that's his ceiling. Like that is like what could actually happen. He had a great season, a great season in in uh, in Arizona, and sometimes people bloom late. I mean, Zach Hyman didn't become Zach Hyman until after he was 25 years old, right? He was in the minors for a little bit, cooking up, and then he got brought up to the Maple Leafs and, you know, met the right coaches that put him in the right situations. You know, Zach Hyman, really, since he got to the NHL, has kind of been attached to the hip of Austin Matthews. At one point, it seemed like a detriment to Matthews, and then eventually, Hyman blossomed into this, like, outstanding top six complimentary two-way guy who's just a pest but also a a great puck retriever to get it to those players who's to say Michael Bunting can't do that the way that he plays he can be that person and taking a a gamble on a a guy who's only played like 26 games in the NHL you weren't going to blow your brains out signing someone to that small of a sample size so a two-year deal 950,000 and you roll the dice and you take the gamble and you say hey maybe he is just a late bloomer and now he's ready to go I'm telling you guys I think this is an underrated signing like a lot a lot of people I see saying like outside of Mrazic they just signed a bunch of guys I think it's more likely that bunting becomes a nightly fixture. I'm not saying he's going to be a star. Like he's, he's he's not. He may not even be, you know, Zach Hyman, but I think that he's more than just a guy. I think he will be you know, influential in in Leafs games this year. I really do. So Michael Bunting, 2 years, 950,000, I think is a, a tremendous tremendous value addition to the team. And let's be honest, if it's not, and that, you know, that 21-game sample size this year, we got 10 goals through 21 games, if that turned out that it was just a mirage, that 950000 is completely variable in the minors. Doesn't go against the cap, and you forget about it. You, you took a chance on somebody, thought, hey, you know, this is a, a no-risk, high-reward type signing. If indeed he is this type of player who can stand in front of the net, you know, be a pest in these net front battles, screen goaltenders, get puck, get sticks on pucks when it's coming at them, redirect them, and then go after rebounds and put them into the back of the net. You know, be a finisher in that regard. Totally worth it. And if not, go to the Marlies, and you can continue to be an AHL stud like you were for the last three years. No risk. Not even low risk. No risk. High reward signing. That's Michael Bunting. The other signing that I think will have uh, nightly impact, I guess we could call it, is David Kampf. Uh, so David Kampf, I don't know, Kampf, Kampf, let's go with Kampf right now. I think I've heard people call him David Kampf. Um, a two-year deal, $1.5 million per season, um, which some people thought was a little bit too much money. But I, one and a half million for a guy who's going to play every night, I don't think is uh, is overly terrible. So here's a little bit about uh, David Kampf. So he's played four years in the NHL, all for the Chicago Blackhawks. And if you're expecting him to give the Maple Leafs some uh, secondary offense, think again. <laughs> that is not 
his thing. He's going to have one goal this year. Um, but he's a defensive specialist, right? That's what he is. He's a defensive specialist uh, who can take face-offs. He's a, a strong penalty killer, according to a lot of things that I've been reading. Um, the Chicago Blackhawks fans, like, they are upset about comp leaving, right? And and Chicago, for whatever reason, I don't know what they were doing, but they let Pia Suter walk, and they also let David Kampf walk, both of which were restricted free agents, RFAs, that they just didn't qualify. And I don't know why. I, I thought that they were decent players and played at a, a cheap enough rate where they could have signed them, but I guess they uh, they spent all their money on bringing in Seth Jones that they just couldn't afford to uh, to pay these two, which luckily for Toronto, now now we get an opportunity to, to check out what David Kampf can do. And, you know, P- uh, fans are telling me that his play looks better than the analytics suggest. Like, you'll take a look at the analytics, his possession numbers, his Corsi. You take a look at, uh, you know, Jay Fresh's war charts. It doesn't look pretty. But, you know... Chatting with some people from the Chicago area, some people who watch his games on a nightly basis tell me his play is a lot better than the analytics suggest. And they contribute his poor numbers for having poor teammates that are that have impacted his possession stats. And that's kind of the thing that is somewhat, um, you know, like, like analytics aren't perfect, right? There's certain... Uh, it's, there's certain context that needs that that isn't there when you just look at the raw numbers, and sometimes context is important. And 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 David Kampf might be a context guy, where if you watch him, he is better. And Kyle Dubas came out afterwards and he said that he's been longing for Kampf. Says he's had many conversations with Stan Bowman on Kampf over the years, trying to acquire him, and Bowman is just not wanting to 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 move on from him I guess until this year and you know so if 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 that's if that's the truth then I mean I guess Dubas sees something in him right and Jack Hahn who did he work with the Leafs I know he used to work he was like a former co-worker of Kyle Dubas um, knows him really well knows how he thinks I believe he also would have worked with Sheldon Keefe. So I think he was part of the Marlies organization a couple of a couple of years ago, back when uh, Dubas and Keefe both worked uh, for the Marlies before he became the GM and Keefe became the head coach. He said that apparently him and Dubas had many talks about David Kampf over the years, and Jack Hahn kind of says he sees him as a poor man's Phil Deneau, and that sounds great. Because we saw what Phil Deneau did over the uh, in the playoffs for the Montreal Canadiens, just absolutely shut down everyone who he played, everybody, and ended up cashing that in for a six-year, five and a half million dollar per year ticket in Los Angeles. Which to me, for a shutdown center, is a little bit too much. I'll uh, I'll stick with one and a half million for David Kampf if that was if that was the alternative for a guy like Phil Deneau. But yeah, so David Kampf I, I think is going to be uh it sounds likely that he could be the third line center and Sheldon Keefe is going to try and for the third year in a row establish a pure shutdown third line. That's what he's been he's wanted to do this 
since he took over. He's talked about this. And he hasn't really had that shutdown third-line center to do it. Alex Kerfoot wasn't that guy, right? So he, he wasn't really able to do it. Last year, there was some success when I I think it was what, um, Mikheyev, was it Mikheyev, Engvall, and Hyman, back when Hyman played on the third line for a little bit? It may have even been, uh, maybe been Kerfoot at the time, but really, I mean, Hyman was the one who, who <laughs> kind of stirred the drink there. But I think this year, if I'm thinking, okay, you want to have a pure defensive line, it sounds like a, a potential third line here could be something along the lines of uh, Mikheyev, Kampf, and either Engvall or Wayne Simmons. I guess it'll kind of depend on what you want to do there. But one of those two guys maybe will end up being on that shutdown. And really, Kampf and Mikheyev are two pretty solid shutdown guys. And then you've got some, a, you know, a decent player in Engvall. Or you can go with the veteran in uh, in Wayne Simmons as well. So I think that's probably what we'll end up seeing Kampf be utilized as is that shut down third line center unless they find another one I guess or they could make him the fourth line center and keep Kerfoot at the at at 3c but there's been some speculation that they're going to move Kerfoot to the wing up into the top six so I guess it really depends exactly what happens what happens with Kerfoot but Kampf whether it's a third line center or the fourth line center I think he's going to be a nightly staple on this team he's going to kill penalties um, which is something that they desperately need. They haven't had a true centerman on their PK in a, in like a while, right? I mean, they had Marner and, and Hyman taking face-offs last year in the penalty kill. Now you have a guy in comp who can actually take face-offs, win them, and then move the puck out, and, and maybe that'll help this terrible, terrible penalty kill that the Leafs have had the last couple of years. So that's comp. Two years at $1.5 million. Okay, we'll take one more quick break. And when we come back, let's get to some of these depth signings that uh, were also made by the Maple Leafs. And then I'll just give my kind of give my overall thoughts. Just kind of tie a little bow onto free agency, or at least the first part of free agency. Uh, and I'll do that when I return here on the Locked on Leafs podcast. All right, let's continue taking a look at who the Maple Leafs have signed the rest of the free agent class of 2021. Uh, once again, I'm Mike DiStefano, the host of Locked on Leafs, and we've already gone through what I believe to be the three most prominent signings that the Maple Leafs made uh, on the first day of free agency. That was Peter Mrazek, the goaltender, Michael Bunting, a late-blooming 25-year-old uh, winger who has who they say is, has like middle six aspirations who I personally think will get a run with uh, Matthews and Marner and then also David Kampf a defensive specialist uh, a shutdown center penalty killer um, so those are three guys who I think were our names are going to want to know going into next year because they're going to get some some good play uh, with the Maple Leafs next season. These next few players that were signed quite late in the day, um, most likely pro like either healthy scratches, press box players, or guys who will be with the Marlies for a good portion of the season. 
Uh, I, I'm not expecting too, too much out of any of these three, just depth. These are depth signings. That's what this is, right? You always, you still got to fill out an entire organization, right? You're not, you're the, every single signing can't just be top six, you know, top four defensemen, right? You still got to fill out your depth. You got to fill out the depth within the organization, um, and also coming in, there was, you know, discussions, Kyle Dubas saying like, yeah, we're, we're just going to try and fill out some depth and some, and, and get some, uh, you know, some, what's the word I'm looking for here? Some different types of players, some qualities, different qualities in players that they want. And, uh, that's kind of what they got through these depth pieces. So let's start off with, uh, with Curtis Gabriel, Kurt Gabriel, another guy who I somewhat anticipated the Maple Leafs being a player on uh, because, well, let's face it, I think Toronto just wants somebody in their system who's big, can hit, can fight, and can be a spark plug for their team, and Curtis Gabriel can be that. He's also a local kid, local Toronto boy, which love to see it, but six foot four, 200 pounds, Played in just 11 games this past season for the San Jose Sharks. But in those 11 games, he had 46 hits and four fights. 46 hits and four fights through 11 games. He averaged 33.33 hits per 60, which is the most of anybody who played at least the same amount of games that Gabriel did, which is only 11 games, so it's a small sample size. But the production that he put out there on the ice while he was there in a physical form is, like, unmatched <laughs> around anyone else in the NHL. All right? Like, four fights in 11 games, this guy. So that, there's your fighter, Toronto. That's the tough guy, least fans, that you've been waiting for. And best of all, he's a good Ontario boy. That was an awful, awful Don Cherry impersonation. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like you say, it's a depth signing. If they need to bring somebody up, uh, you know, they're going up against a heavier team and they want some, you know, just a spark. They want somebody heavy. I think Curtis Gabriel is a guy who they'll bring up, uh, you know, every couple of games. You know, if there's a goon on the other side, like if they're playing Washington against Tom Wilson or they're playing... Uh, now the New York Rangers, who just acquired Ryan Reeves, you know, Curtis Gabriel can go out there and kind of be that that heavy alternative out there on the ice so that those guys can't just run around doing whatever they want, right? It, he's like a modern-day goon like at, at the end of the day. I mean, you get into four scraps in 11 games. I, I don't think uh, I don't think you're going to be known for your puck handles, so... And 46 fights also in 11 games. While only averaging like 8 minutes of ice time. It's it's mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing. Like led the league in hits per 60. It's crazy. Um, but again, I don't anticipate him to get... He's not going to be a nightly staple in the lineup. Um, he could be, but I, I, I don't anticipate it. Uh, it's again just uh, a depth signing. He could very well just be uh, a Marley's signing as well. And then just gets brought up periodically uh, when they're looking for a little bit more heaviness and, and toughness within a matchup. Uh, moving on, one of the other guys who they signed as depth, this is a two-way contract, 
and it's veteran right-hand defenseman Alex Biega. A longtime NHL vet split with the Vancouver Canucks and the Detroit Red Wings. He's got almost 250 games played in the league. He's 33 years old, so, you know, he's, he's an older guy. Uh, again, definitely Marley's bound, but brings a little bit of a, an element of physicality to his game. He averages over two and a half hits per game. Um, so, and and he's a he's a volume shooter. You know, he doesn't he doesn't mind shooting the puck either. So Alex Biega, one of those guys uh, who, you know, think of it as a Marty Marincin type of role where he's going to go up and down between the minors, sit in the press box for a little bit, and then just get tossed into a game randomly. If, you know, injuries start to pile up, we'll see him. But uh, if you're thinking about, you know, writing out your, your depth charts for day one of of camp, I'd be shocked if Biega makes it there as like your third pair right shot defenseman. I, I mean, it's just probably not going to happen, especially since he signed a two-way deal as well. Makes it more likely that he's just, this is just Marley's AHL uh, depth signing all over it. And uh, they made one other signing that is very similar to it. This is a left-handed defenseman, Carl Dahlstrom. A little bit of a bigger boy, though. Six foot four, 230 pounds. He's, he's a former second-rounder, though, um, with the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, he had 64 games played in the NHL uh, with 10 assists. He had 44 hits and 57 blocks through those 64 games. So I don't, maybe a PK option. Again, I, I don't really know. I can't recall watching Carl uh, Dahlstrom. Like he, his best season was two years ago with Chicago. He played in 38 of those uh, 38 games that year. So yeah, 38 of his 64 games played in that one year. But he did average over 18 and a half minutes per game on the blue line. Um, so you know maybe a, a penalty kill option. I guess like six four two thirty, stand in front of the net. You know, go out there, block shots lay some hits. Uh, I get just a depth defenseman though. Like injuries start to pile up. This is the guy who's going to go in. Uh, here's something that's not cool though, that I did notice about Carl Dahlstrom, his takeaway and giveaway splits, just 15 takeaways, but 50 giveaways this past season. Uh, or that might be in his career, 15 takeaways and 50 giveaways. So not, not great. I mean, that's like, Cody Cece-esque, who also signed a ridiculous contract. Uh, I think he signed like three or three or four years at like 3.25 in Edmonton. And, and like what defensemen were going for this free agent period, to me, signals that Kyle Dubas protecting Justin Hall makes even more sense. Because Hall would have been would have been taken absolutely. Like if they would have kept McCann and went the seven three and one route, and then they would have said, "Okay, choose between Hall or Dermot." Hall's being taken, and then the Maple Leafs are going into next season a without a single right hand shot on the roster, and b their number four is he a number four? No, we've gone through this, but he's their number four, and he plays it well with a pairing with Jake Muzzin. And he only does it for $2 million. And if guys like Cody Cece were getting paid $3.25 million to do that job, but much worse, <laughs> I might add, yeah, 
keeping him around a couple more years at a $2 million contract, definitely smarter than uh, bringing in Jerry McCann. Because McCann, that could be replaced. You can't replace Justin Hall, a top four, our top four defenseman, at $2 million. That wasn't happening. Tucker Pullman, who's not even an NHLer, he's literally like a seventh defenseman, got paid $2.5 million by Vancouver. Because he's a big, defensive, right-handed defenseman. That's what was getting paid a lot in free agency. So that was another takeaway, I guess, that that I did want to mention was that if there's something that I learned through free agency this year, like entirely, not just the Maple Leafs, but entirely was that, you know, depth, like big defensive uh, right shot defensemen (laughs) were a premium. And they were getting paid way more money than anyone should ever be paying them to play hockey. <laughs> um, so not having to, to get into that market because you you had the foresight to keep Justin Hall around was the right call for expansion. It was the right call. Uh, so the Leafs will still have about $3.5 million dollars to do something, whether that's dipping into the leftover secondary free agent market, as Dubas alluded to uh, in in multiple interviews post-free agency. They could potentially make a trade. Um, but I, I, I'd be surprised if one more like medium-sized ad isn't made this offseason. Like a top six guy. I'd be surprised. Thomas Tatar is still available in free agency. That is somebody who... I think uh, may have some interest in Toronto and vice versa. If it comes at a decent rate, we'll see. The biggest problem with Tatar is like, much like a lot of the Maple Leafs, he just goes silent in the playoffs. Like plays great through the regular season. Playoffs comes, nothing. Healthy scratched. Happened in Vegas. Happened again in Montreal. So I don't know. the, The Leafs may want to stay away. But on paper, it seems like a decent a decent addition. But we'll, we'll see. Um, they've been linked to the Islanders uh, RFA Anthony Bavillier, which I think would be a great addition. I don't know what he's going to cost, though, because he is an RFA, right? So he's going to need a contract, too. And I don't know if three and a half will get it done. I'm just not sure. Maybe Maybe it could. Perhaps there's a trade to be made as well. Uh, I've seen somebody say, you know, with the with the money that's being thrown around for defensemen in today's market, maybe Dermott's one and a half million dollar contract extension now is like an extremely attractive price for some teams. And if you move that contract off the books, you open up another one and a half million. That'll give you four and a half to five million to to make a signing, a top six signing, which is very much possible to to get a top six winger at that price. Definitely could get Bavillier signed up at that price or whoever is is in mind for Kyle Dubas. But uh, yeah, so no no like home run hitting. Uh, they didn't go out and make massive signings. They got the goaltender they needed and they took some good gambles on uh, lower 
tier free agents like Michael Bunting and David Kampf, and that just filled out their uh, their depth a little bit by also adding size uh, and a, just a different element to their team in guys like Curtis Gabriel and uh, Carl Dahlstrom. Um, where you know, in certain matchups, maybe you you play those guys over over some other people, and you know you just play the matchup game a little bit. But um, yeah, we'll we'll see. It's it's officially off season mode though for the NHL. You know, most of the fun is over and done with. But hey, I'm still here, folks. I'm still here. I still got lots to say throughout the summer. Uh, I'll have some great guests joining. Former Maple Leafs, some Leafs writers and reporters that you guys know very well, uh, and also some of you. I, I'm considering doing a Fan Friday segment where I bring on one listener each Friday for a segment to talk about whatever you guys want. Maple Leafs, you want to talk about you know your life, how you can possibly get started in your own you know career path if you want to get into podcasting or radio or, or journalism of some kind. Whatever you guys want to talk to, it's I want to get to know the fans of the show, and I think doing it during the summer is is a perfect time to get that done, and also just get a feel for what you know the fan base is 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 wanting to talk about uh, or what they're thinking about the Maple Leafs themselves. So, uh, you know, over the coming week and a half, two weeks or so, I'm gonna figure out how I'm going to go about doing that. Uh, but just make sure that you know you're you're keeping tabs on the podcast and returning each and every day. Uh, I'll say this though, um, starting Monday, so in August, we'll be going down to three episodes a week. Uh, most likely gonna be a, like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday type of thing. But it'll be three episodes a week until uh, about mid-September when training camps start up again. So just keep that in mind that we're going down from, from daily five shows a week down to three for the next little bit. And then when training camps come back, we're back to five shows a day, baby. Getting you set for the 21-22 season. Um, but of course, the NHL season is 365, so we'll still have a bunch of hockey-related news to chat about throughout the summer do some mailbags um and a bunch of other fun stuff but that's to do it for me here today on the podcast i'd like to thank you all for listening and supporting the show you can subscribe to the locked on these podcast on all podcasts and platforms and receive daily leaves content follow myself on twitter at mickey underscore canuck follow the show at lockdown leaves i'll be back with another episode tomorrow but until then keep it locked right here on locked on leaves